0: Um man so I'm going to I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it real quick. Let me just pray first and all right Lord we uh just thank you for tonight uh that we can be here just to be in your presence, worship you and just set our hearts right. Um coming coming off of the middle of the week, Wednesday. It's kind of that busy day of the week and so just getting to slow down and stop and just be in your presence and worship you and um, be in your word and, and just uh, reset midweek is it's amazing. And so we just pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to receive from you everything that you have for us, uh, that you just teach us and inspire us to be more like you from your word. And uh, just speak to us through your spirit um, as, we, as we dig into your word tonight. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, we had, uh, yeah, we had Alan last Sunday get to share at Christian City Church, and so that was awesome, and uh, it was an awesome message, it was, it was really good, and so it really blessed us, it was fun to have you, so I'm glad I get to share tonight and pick up um, in your guys' series, Going Through Luke, and so, how many months have you been in this? Okay, you probably got a couple years to go. <laughs> We, we did a Luke series once. I think it took us two and a half years. I think it was, we were, we were on schedule for three, but I think we, we sped it up. I think we started to like cut some corners. I don't know, but man, it took a while. So we're picking it up uh, tonight in Luke 9, verses 46 through 50. Is that correct? You're going to take my word for it, hopefully. That's where you are. I was like, I think this is, that's what the text said. I meant to confirm. I was like, it wasn't a verse before, but it made sense. And, um, and so this is kind of that famous story that we know uh, where the disciples, in really poor timing as, is usually the case, uh, get into an argument about who's the greatest. And uh, Jesus is, um, he's basically just told them like that he was, he is the greatest. Yeah. And he's the Messiah. He's going to give his life and he's going to perform the greatest act that anyone has ever seen. The greatest act in history. Talk about greatness. And, and their response is that they don't understand what he's talking about. And then they ask the question, I wonder which one of us is the greatest? You know, it's just horrible timing. Uh, they're just not getting it. And so right in the middle of, of Jesus, defining what greatness looks like, they turn and ask, I wonder, Jesus, I wonder which one of us is the greatest, who, which is the best. So that's kind of where we pick up the story. It's, um, so starting in verse 46, it says that an argument started among the disciples uh, as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, because they weren't going to say it, he knew their thoughts, uh, he took a, a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, "Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you, me least among you all, who is the greatest." And then they go on. "Master," said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not one of us. Don't stop him," Jesus said, "For whoever is not against you is for you." I always thought that was a little bit weird that they go from this question of who's the greatest, to this kind of interjection of oh, and by the way, they were trying to cast out demons, um, but we stopped them. Don't worry, Jesus. And it seems kind of weird, but uh, I w- we'll look at it. It actually makes complete sense because when you're when you're fighting to be great, you tend to be competing against other people that are really on the same side as you, because. Uh, because you want to be great, so you put other people down. And so they're thinking about this conversation of being great, and like, well, they can't be doing what we're doing, because they're not part of our group, part of our church, ironically, whatever it might be. They're not one of us, so they get in this argument. But uh, they're talking about this idea of, of greatness. Who's the greatest? Um, and I don't know about you guys, but Hannah and I, we've been watching the Olympics a lot lately, And uh, at least what's on TV. It seems like the only Olympics that we get is diving. Uh, Diving with a friend, as I call it. (laughs) Synchronized diving. Diving with a friend. It's like him. And uh, and more swimming and more swimming. So lots of swimming uh, and a little bit of like track and field. But, But we've been watching a lot of the Olympics. And I'm always just, like I'm fascinated with the Olympics. Because it's fascinating to watch people that are great. Like the greatest in the world. Um, and I love just watching them and, and their little ticks and, like, the weird things that they do, you know, uh, in their, to get ready. And some of them look like they're, they're not nervous at all, and others, you can tell, are nervous. And it's just crazy to think they're, most of their lives they've been training for this one moment. All the pressure, all the hard work, all the effort, and then the whole world is watching, and you see this moment of greatness. And it's fascinating. I think we're all fascinated with greatness, I think, like, when we, when we watch that, we're, there's something in us that is just fascinated at watching greatness. Hannah asked me, why do we have the Olympics? And I was like, good question, because we've always had them, you know, <laughs> but we haven't always had them. But I thought, well, it's because it, when you compete, you know, we compete in our country, you know, the greatest in the country, or the greatest in our state, greatest in the region, but the Olympics means you're the greatest in the world. And you set records, and you're the greatest in history, and we're... We're fascinated with greatness. And there's something about greatness, I think, that we connect with deep inside. That's why we love to watch great people, great, great athletes, and, and we're just so fascinated by it because it, it, it connects to something inside of us that God put inside of us. And, um, and when you think about it, it it's just captivating. And, and I think we're, we're born with this desire to want to be great, to want to be a part of something great, to want to do great things. That's why, like, when you're a kid, you never, you never play number two. You always play you're the hero, right? You, your friends are over here, but you're the hero, and, you're, and you always want first place, and you're always cutting in line first, and you always want to be a part of something great, and you always make up these great stories in your mind. As a kid, or even as an adult, there's nothing better than being told you've done a great job. Like when your boss... Or your spouse or a friend can just look at you and say you're doing a great job. There's something in us that just says, "Oh, we connect to that," and and it's not necessarily wrong. I, I think it's actually a good thing um, when we understand it right. And, uh, and it's actually something that God has put in us is this desire and this being captivated to connect with greatness. And I think that's what the disciples have. It's just they're kind of. They're kind of going about it the wrong way, and so we've got these disciples, and they're asking this question, well, who's the greatest? I mean, like, like of, of the 12 of us, who's the greatest? And I'm sure they were counting, like, well, you know, I'm probably number one, John's probably number two, like, of, of the one through 12, scale of one to 12, Jesus, who do you think would be the best? And I just wonder what they were thinking. They were probably asking questions like, well, who knows the most, the most scripture, memory, uh, you know, who Who's the closest to Jesus? Who's cast out the most demons? Um, yeah, yeah. They're probably just stacking up, you know? Like, I wonder who's the greatest. And so often, we find ourselves asking that same question. Who's the greatest? Um, but, but they didn't say it. It says that Jesus knew their thoughts. Because they were thinking it, but they wouldn't say it. I don't know if you've ever had something like that. where you're, Deep down, you thought it, but you, you weren't going to say it. And uh, Jesus, he said it. He called it out. I thought it. Jesus said it. Um, but there was something in them that knew, like, it, it, they wanted to keep it from Jesus. Like, I want to be great, but I'm not going to let him know that because, there, because he can't know that I want to be great. Like, there's something in us that, that knows it's wrong. It's funny. It's, it's, it's great to be good, but it's not good to be great Amen. in the Christian world. Like we kind of grow up, especially in, in the Christian world, there's this, there's this like belief uh, and part of it is right and part of it is wrong thinking of like, oh, God's great. I can't be. I can't compete with his greatness. I'll just settle. You, I think even on our best day with a lot of luck, we can't compete with his greatness. Yeah. We can't even come close. <laughs> but there's kind of this thought, well, you know, God's great. We have to kind of be, belittle ourselves and, and stay down here and, and, you know, and be humble. Uh, and we do. But, but then we suppress this feeling, this real desire for greatness, and we don't say anything. And, and if, we're, if we're honest, we're kind of like the disciples, where we want to be, we have this thing in us that wants to be connected to something great, but we just bury it deep down, because we're a good Christian, and we're not supposed to tell Jesus that we, we desire greatness, right? And so we put it deep down, and we suppress it, and we think about it. But Jesus, he cared enough. He's like, no, we need to talk about that question, Because it's actually, I think it's one of the most important questions that we wrestle with as Christians. One of the greatest desires, it's like this feeling of like, I want to be a part of something great. I want to do great things. I think I want to be great, but is that okay? I better not talk about it. And then what ends up happening is rather than being filled with pride and thinking, "Oh, I'm so great, rather we suppress it and we get resentful at other people that are great think, well, if I can't be great, then I'm going to tear them down. That's kind of what John did. He's like, well, look at those people. They're casting out demons. Jesus, don't worry, we stopped them. And I think that's kind of the result. If I can't be great, they can't be great either. Only Jesus can be great. And so on, on one side, Jesus is, is redefining what greatness really is but but on the other side i think god has given us a desire for greatness and it's actually a tool we're going to see that we can use it for his kingdom rather than the disciples who are using it selfishly basically to build themselves up and and um and so jesus wants to talk about it a little bit uh, cuz you know we read things we read things in scripture like this in 1 corinthians 9:24 talking about running the race where it says this don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one person gets the prize so run to win and I was thinking about that verse how can I run to, to win if I can't desire to win right oh if, if the greatest must be the least or the first must be last how can I run to win if I can't want to be first and win and so I struggle with that it's kind of like we want to run with Jesus and do great things but we have this idea that we can't and it's kind of this weird tension that we wrestle with. And, and what Jesus does in this text, though, is Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't say it's wrong to have the desire to be great. He says, you just need to redefine what greatness is. Uh, and so Jesus doesn't say, bad, bad Christian, you should not desire greatness. He actually says, oh, okay, if you want to be great, here's what that looks like. So if you want to be great do this. He, he doesn't shame them for the desire. Instead, he redefines their definition of what greatness is. It's what God calls great. Not what we call great, but what God calls great. And that's what he's doing here. What is God calling great? And so he, uh, he goes on then, and he explains what greatness looks like. And so he takes this child, and he puts the child next to him, and he says, greatness looks like this. It looks like receiving a child." And if you would receive a child, you'd receive me. And if you'd receive me, you receive the Father. So he's saying it looks like receiving a child, loving on a child. And um, in our culture, that kind of makes sense. We could be like, oh yeah, loving on children, that's, you know, that make, that's good. That's very Christ-like to love children. But for them, it, it, didn't, it didn't make sense. In fact, it was really confusing. They were like, Jesus, why, why a child? Because a, a child in their society was, was basically counted as less than. The child was considered uh, not not worth paying attention to. The women and the children, they weren't even counted. They were literally discounted. They would count the men and then say, "Oh yeah, there's right feeding the five thousand men. Oh, and women and children. <laughs> They're over there." Uh, and so in society, the children, especially, they, they had nothing to offer. They brought no value. <laughs> they, they they didn't bring wise input. Uh, why would you waste your time talking to a child? But Jesus says, "Well, that's what greatness looks like. It looks like taking the time to receive the child, because because child has nothing to offer. And, and so, if if you're willing to if you're willing to receive and to, to, to pour out into a child who can't really give you th- anything in return, it's like that's what that's what greatness looks like. And it looks like receiving a child. And we were, I was watching a clip of the Chosen. Uh, have you watched the Chosen?" Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's a great series. You just watch and it's just incredible to, to see how they play the characters and, and especially Jesus. I think the character of Jesus is just done so well. And I was watching uh, this scene just the other day uh, of the wedding banquet where Jesus turns the water into wine and there's just this one clip where it shows him sitting at the table with the kids and he's playing with the children. And it just stuck out so much. I was like, man, Jesus did. He loved children he loved to hang out with the kids and talk with the kids and, and teach the kids and and that was so countercultural. and especially just seeing it in that that scene it was like jesus don't you don't you have important things to do you can't be sitting at the table talking to the children and uh it's like you you've got a miracle to do you don't have time for the children and, and that's what he's trying to break and as he's he's just sitting there he's like no i love the children that other stuff we'll get to but right now i'm with the children and it's like receiving a child. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever spent time with children, but you probably know what children are like. Um, it, when you sit down with a child, it requires focus, it requires patience, <laughs> it requires having to just kind of tune out what's going on and just really focus real hard. And a lot of patience. And every Sunday after church, not every Sunday, but most weeks, my little niece, Hayden, will come up and she'll give me a hug, and I'm always in the middle of a conversation, and my thought is, I always think of Jesus, and I fail at this, but I try every week. My thought is, oh, I have these important conver- adult conversations that have to be had, people going through things that need to talk to me about what they're going through, but then this child comes up, and it's this moment where it's like, am I going to stop and, and give my attention to a child? Or am I going to engage in, in this conversation? And, uh, and it's not in the way of, like, you know, kids uh, annoying their parents. Dad, 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 dad. You know, then you just need to be like, look, we'll talk later, all right? You need manners, and you need to not interrupt, okay? Not like that. But when you have this decision, do I have an important conversation where I can, you know, hopefully benefit them, and maybe they have something to offer? Or do I talk to a child which seems like maybe a waste of time but not at all He's saying that's what greatness looks like it's when you're willing to, to give with nothing to gain I think that's why he said greatness looks like serving and receiving a child because it's, it's truly the one example where you give with nothing to gain but you give anyways I think that's what greatness looks like Greatness, uh, it's not being the best. It's not casting out the most demons or building a big church or being successful or having a great business. It's not knowing tons of scripture. Uh, it's not praying all the time. Greatness is giving when there's nothing to gain. Amen. And loving on a child is perhaps the, the the best example. And so it takes a perspective shift, really. It requires us to sort of change our perspective of what greatness is. And that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He's like, look, you should desire great things. You should desire to do great. You are great because you're made in the image of God. And he has great work for you to do, but you need to define greatness differently. This is what it looks like. And, and he gives this other uh, example in a similar text, very similar text to this um, in Matthew. It's a different situation. That's in Matthew 20, uh, verses 26 through 28. And um, James and John two brothers, their, their mom goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, do you think, do you think my, my two sons could sit at your left and your right hand in positions of authority? And uh, she, just this little request. Do you think they could be great? And, and then the disciples hear about it, and it says they're indignant. They're, like, really mad about it. Like, how dare they? How dare they come and ask their mom, come to Jesus and ask if they can be great in the kingdom? And Jesus says, okay, yep, I understand you're frustrated. He's like, but you guys don't be that way. Instead, he says, may it not be so with you. He says, instead, however, whoever, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's just a sim- very similar text as uh, the one we read in Luke where he's saying, "Whoever wants to become great," again, he's saying, "If you want to become great, pay attention. If not, that's fine. Don't pay attention. But if you do, pay attention. It looks like this. It looks like serving and sacrifice. Right there, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Saying greatness looks like serving and sacrifice, like receiving a child with nothing to gain. Um, but the disciples, of course, they missed it, and and." in Luke, obviously, right? He, Jesus had just showed them. <clears throat> he's, this is, you know, Jesus, the greatest, the greatest man, also God, to walk the earth, to perform the greatest act of sa- sacrifice in history, When the disciples get into an argument about which of them is the greatest. They're completely missing it, because they, they think greatness is like this hierarchy of who's at the top, and Jesus says, no, it's not, like, it's not about who's at the top. If anything, it's more like who's probably at the bottom. Like, well, maybe it's who's first. He's like, well, no, it's not really about being first. If anything, it's more like being last. Because if you serve even the children who are the least of these, then you are even lesser than that, you're serving them. So he's trying to just shift our thinking of what what it means to be great. We have all these things in our minds of what culture says to be great, what it it looks like to be great, how do we define greatness, and he has to rewire that um, in our minds. Otherwise, we miss it. And the disciples, they missed it. Uh, And so he redefines. It's not about what you gain. It's about what you give. And um, it kind of changes our perspective. What if greatness is not something I can achieve, but it's something that I just give? It's a gift that I can give. It's not not a level of excellence that I achieve in my life. And and I was thinking about the Olympics uh, a little bit more and um, just sort of what drives Olympians, that's what always fascinates me about them is just their, their drive. You, you hear their backstories uh, of what it took to get to be the best in the world. And it blows my mind, the amount of effort and sacrifice and hard work and blood and sweat and tears and, and coaches just yelling at them, go, 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 for years. And I just can't believe what would drive you to that, to that place. And, um, and, and, I, and I was watching this one track and field event and uh it s- stuck out to me i think it was it was the voice of god speaking through the olympics to me i don't know but this this young man he was doing the long jump and i hadn't been watching i don't know if he was in first if he was good or not but but either way this young man he's about to to do his long jump and the crowd isn't making any noise and so he looks at the crowd and he goes like this just for him to, to start cheering because he wants some praise and he's like come on come on and then they, they don't come they don't they don't shout loud enough and so he kinda stops. You can tell he's frustrated and he's like, come on and he's trying to get him to get louder and louder and louder. And then he did it like a third time and I was like, Man, this guy really needs to get hyped up, I guess. And, and you could tell he was just like he thought he was gonna do great. And he ran and he ran and he jumps and he just blew it. He totally blew it. He fell flat. And and I thought, yeah. When 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 you require the praise of other people to be great, it falls flat. Amen. And I thought, the great Olympians, they don't need praise. The great Olympians, it's almost like they don't even know there's thousands of people there. They're so focused. And they're not even competing against others. They're competing with this drive to just be the best, which I believe is a drive from God. They're not competing against, in fact, they're really good friends with each other. I love watching how, how much they enjoy each other, and, and, and they're competing with each other more than they are against each other and they're more just stepping into this drive that God's given them but the ones that require praise they usually fall flat they don't take first because I was just like man if our prize is simply praise we're so limited and I think that's what Jesus is saying man if if the, if the greatest version that you can think of is you getting the praise pff, that's nothing like that won't get you far but, but if greatness in your mind is defined as serving and loving other people like Christ loves us, wow, that, that's great. That, that is what greatness looks like. That is truly great. And, uh, and so one more, one more text, 1 Corinthians 9.24 again, but I just want to read the second part of it as well. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize." to win. And then it says this, so everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I mean, an Olympian does it for a gold medal, but pff, we do it for an eternal crown, for an eternal prize, for, for something that will last for eternity. And uh, man, w- when you look at, when you look at these Olympians, it's like, it's so obvious the, the ones that are the best, they're not, they're not doing it for a moment of praise, and they're not doing it for a $500 medal. We looked it up. I think bronze, we're like, how much did those medals cost? I think bronze was $500 or something. You know, so they're obviously not doing it for, for a fancy necklace in a moment of praise. They're doing it for something greater, and, and that's what it's saying. Like, as people in the kingdom, we should desire it even more. We should even more have an ambition to do the best we can. Because when we, it's a little bit cheesy, but I like cheesy phrases because remember, because when, when we give our best, other people get blessed. Amen. It's really true. When, when you can serve the best you can serve, it blesses other people and they get to know who God is. When, when Katie leads worship on a Sunday, I, I often just step back and think, man, I'm so glad that she gives her best and that she strives to be the best worship leader she can be like this drive to be the best worshiper she can possibly be, the best singer, the best songwriter. Because when she strives and has this drive to be her best, it blesses me so much. I'm just so blessed. I'm like, man, thank you for giving your best. And when I preach, I honestly, I, sometimes I'm like, man, I, I didn't feel divinely called by God to be a preacher. It just kind of happened. And it's, it's more obedience than anything. But my drive to preach and to do it well is because it blesses people. And so, like, I want to be the best preacher I can possibly be. And I sometimes probably am too hard on myself, on myself selves. I'm also schizophrenic. And me, and my, me and I. No. <laughs> but, my, like, I have this drive to want to be the best preacher I can be. I could really care less how big of a church we, we grow, but the few people that are there, it's like, if I can preach the word, it, the best I can, it'll bless them. And I want them to be blessed by, by the gift I have. And you realize that's what that's what it is. It, it's when we can serve other people greatly, they're blessed greatly. And, and God uh, gets to be known in great ways through his people. And so we, we often, as Christians, think I have to either, I have to give up greatness to serve other people. But I think it's both. Greatness is serving other people. It's not one or the other. It's It's not either either leave leave god and and pursue greatness or have god and and live mediocre average uh not great christian life it's not what it is at all it's saying no 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 pursue god and, and serving is how you achieve greatness it's the method of greatness is when we serve one another it's the path man and so don't whatever you do don't don't ignore that thing that is in you, or maybe it was in you at one point, that is driving you to want to be a part of something great, to want to see great things happen. Don't ignore that. Step into it, and then use serving other people as the way that you do it. And, <clears throat> and uh, just think, think about it. It's really, it makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, for example, if you were going to go to the doctor, would you rather have, you're going to go to a doctor for maybe say open heart surgery, Would you rather have the doctor that has no ambition and no drive to be a great doctor and is just average and okay with it? Or would you rather go to the doctor that has this drive to be competitive, to be the best, to be the best doctor in the entire country? I'd probably go to him. If I had to pick, and it was a matter of open heart surgery or something like that, I'm probably going to go to the doctor who is ambitious to be the best. Why? Because it could save my life. And, and I think when we step into that, I think, I think Jesus gets excited. He says, yeah, that's amazing. Do it right. It's not about you. It's about serving other people. And that's what it looks like to be great. Ultimately, greatness, it's, it's, it's we're, we're made in the image of God. And so we're all great because he is great. And he's made us in his image, and, and he loves us, and he instills in us identity. And, and so, so we're all loved. That's all we need right there. Um, but it's not supposed to just stop with us. And I think that's the thing, is when, great, when, when the greatness of God is evident in our lives, but it just stops with us, man, that's, 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 that's kind of weak. But when it passes through us into the lives of everyone around us, that's incredible. And that's what serving does. It's, it's meant to channel the, the goodness and the love and the greatness of God to go through our lives into the, the people around us. And, and that's why people that really walk in this, like Jesus, the people around them start to become so much, so much greater in their calling. They start to grow. They start to look more like Christ. And, and, and Jesus, he never, he never kept anything to himself. He always poured it out to everyone around him. He always lifted up his disciples and other people and he called out the identity in them and he always poured it out so don't settle for just praise of yourself but for serving other people and loving other people greatly and um and uh and so that's man that was that was the message um that I had for tonight that's the end of it uh and one more thought, I guess along the, the same lines I just had as I was reading this text for the first time, I was like, "Oh, this will be a fun text uh, to, about greatness and being first and being last, And what does that even mean? What does this look like? And, but, but the thought I had when I first read it, uh, it, was, it was simply this: I was like, these disciples, in their pursuit of who's greatest I was like, they're being really competitive. Like they're competing against one another. And that question came to mind: Is it okay to be competitive? And I don't know, that's an interesting question, isn't it? It's kind of similar to the, the question we've been asking, but is it okay to compete? And, and then I just thought, man, it's, it's okay to be competitive to pursue greatness as long as you know what you're competing for and who you're competing against. And, uh, and that's why John and the disciples, they're competing against each other. That's why they're like, Jesus, what about those guys? They can't cast out demons. They're not a part of our group. I think in, in our culture today, that kind of looks like Well, Jesus, that church down the road, they can't do that. They can't say that because they're not a part of our church or they're not a part of our political party or they're not a part of, of our club and our group. And we get very defensive and we begin to fight and we're competing against one another rather than competing for one another through serving. And I think that's what I love about being here, having Alan come to C3 and just connecting with you guys is that we're so, like, we're competing for each other. And uh, we love you guys, and uh, we're so grateful we get to be here with you, and um, to be able to uh, just serve alongside of you, and pray for you guys throughout the week, and uh, write songs with you guys, and Alan, at least, and uh, it's just fun. And uh, God wants to do some really great things in the valley. He is doing some great things, and it's so cool when we're partnered together, we get to do it together. and. Uh, we don't leave people behind. None of us are fighting for first place or the or, or most effective ministry or, or best worship song. Although, Katie, that, your song is amazing that you wrote. It never gets old. I love it. Uh, but we're doing it together and we're serving together alongside each other. And I think that puts a smile on God's face. And, uh, and we should be ambitious about it. And we, should, and we should press into it. And so, with that, I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then we'll close. Um, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that uh, you've. I think you. You've wired in us some this desire to be a part of something bigger than just us, and that that drives us to want to be a part of what you're doing, and that drives us to want to be connected to you and to walk in the things that you've called us to do. That it drives us to serve one another in incredible ways, and and I just pray that you would show us how we can do that. How in our lives we can we can take the gifts you've given us and the opportunities you've given us and we can serve the best that we possibly can because we want to love people around us the best that we possibly can because that's what you did and that we would hold nothing back but that we would have ambition and drive to just run forward and to advance your kingdom and to love people well and to serve well and we're just we're so thankful. Thank you for Shift Church. Thank you for... Um, pastor Allen and his family and uh just for everyone here tonight and we just thank you for everything you're doing here and uh just the great things that you have <clears throat> in store for us and we love you lord in your name we pray amen